Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Aristotle Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Aristotle Pacific Capital, the sub-advisor for the Aristotle Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello, and welcome to number 65. In the next 10 minutes, we'll talk about 2023, a little bit about what's in store for 24, especially as it relates to the Fed, the economy, and a way too early election forecast, opportunities to fix income, and as always, finish with a personal thought. Let's begin. Let's start with a brief recap of 2023 and highlight December a little bit. December was a monster month for risk assets. And I think at the core of it is the markets believing the Fed's rate hikes are over. I also think the market is getting a little overzealous about potential rate cuts in 24. As performance stands, the S&P 500 index was up 4.5% in December, finished the year with a total return around 26%. So very strong year on equity markets. The leader in 2023 was the Russell 1000 Growth Index, led by the Magnificent Seven. That finished up over 40% for the year. And of note, the S&P Equal Weight Index outperformed the S&P 500 for the first time in a while in December. The standout performer for December was the Russell 2000 Value Index, up 12% on the month, up over 14% for the year. So almost 90% of your returns of the index were in the last month, as it was only up 2% through November. As we jump over to fixed income, core of the returns was from 10-year Treasury yields dropping from 4.35% to 3.87%. As a result, the aggregate bond index was up almost 4% for the month, finished up 5.5% for the year. High-yield bonds continue to rally, had a strong month as well as loans. Both finished the year up over 13%. Overall, the S&P, the aggregate bond index, and leverage credit did well in 23. If you had a 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% fixed income, you probably would be up in the high teens. So why were returns in 23 so strong? First and foremost, the economy really outperformed expectations. In fact, looking at an article that came out from a very well-known publication in October of 2022, their models showed a 100% chance of recession in 2023. A lot of Wall Street firms had that sentiment. So no doubt the economy outperformed. As a result of that, equity markets were much higher Interest rates were higher than expected. Economically speaking, the labor market and consumers were also stronger than expected. As the year wrapped up, market expectations were that the Fed had reached its height or the end of its rate hiking cycle and would begin cuts. And that's really what generated the substantial rally to close the year. Now let's talk a little bit about what's expected in 2024. First of all, from a GDP standpoint, forecasts for GDP right now about 1%. That is substantially lower than what we've seen over the past few years and below really the 2010 run rates of 2 to 3%. Again, most Wall Street firms are forecasting calendar year GDP to be about 1%. Also, the narrative has changed with regard to the central bank. The narrative for most of 23 was when will rate hikes stop? This is now flipped to when will rate cuts begin? So at the core of capital market action in 
2024 will once again be the central bank, but I think with the narrative around when will they begin cutting. So I'll give you a bull case for 24. Again, assuming it starts with monetary conditions. If central banks ease domestically and, and globally, companies and consumers should be able to operate with less financial pressure. As a result, S&P 500 could rally to over 5,000. And for fixed income, monetary conditions soften the short rates. Let's say they drop to 4 to 4.5%, which is about a 100 basis point decline from where we are today. Long rates can hold steady. The curve ends up being more normalized. The economy holds. Bonds clip a coupon. Equities rally. That, to me, is your bull case. Now I'll share the bear case. I'll caveat this by saying this is outside of tail risk, which are very difficult to underwrite. If monetary policy stays too tight, in theory, investment would contract, employment goes up, risk premiums elevate, and then you have an S&P that's, you know, very flat to down, the fixed income curve becomes more inverted, further curtailing access to capital. So you take the bull case and bear case together at the core of it, the big question, in my opinion, is will the Fed pivot preemptively or reactively to economic conditions? Personally, I see 2024 as a tale of two halves. If you have a soft first half, I can vision the Fed loosening conditions, which will help the second half and vice versa. We'll see what happens. Now, believe it or not, this year is a presidential election year. So let's do a way too early look at the November elections. Start with presidential election. Assume 44 states are thought to be either solidly red or blue, leaving six swing states that, in my opinion, will determine who will be the next president. On the West, it's Nevada and Arizona. In the South, it's Georgia. And in the Midwest, it's Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All six of those states went for Biden in 2020. A couple months ago, New York Times, Siena College did a poll with voters in the six swing states. The poll indicated that five of the six swing states are currently for the contender, which is expected to be former President Trump. I don't think, however, the poll reflects voters gravitating toward the contender. I believe it's more disenchantment with the incumbent and the current administration. So when faced with the ballot box later this year and a more binary outcome, voters may certainly change their preference. But right now, the poll indicates the challenger is ahead of the incumbent president. Now let's jump over to Congress. As it relates to the House of Representatives, all 435 seats will be up for election. There are about 45 competitive seats. Right now, the GOP holds slim margin in the House and General expectations are the House will be a toss-up later this year. So let's let's assume the House is a TBD. However, on the Senate side, currently the Democrats hold the slimmest margin. 34 seats will be up for grabs. When you break down the districts in the math, the Democrats have about 43 seats that are thought to be safe. The Republicans have 50 seats that are thought to be safe. That leaves seven competitive seats with Republicans projected to already hold 50, they don't necessarily have to win any of those contested seats and they won't lose control. Given that, the summary or expectation for the Senate is that it will be red come November. 
Now I'm going to throw in an X factor. Some strategists are calling this Rovember. And what's behind that is when there are Roe v. Wade measures on ballots, it has swung elections, even in red states. So if you have a swing state or a district and there is a Roe v. Wade measure, it tends to move the outcome to blue. It has worked over the past two years. If it works in the six swing states, that could be the determinant factor on the presidential race. It'll be interesting to watch. Let's move over to opportunities in fixed income. I'll start with general yield levels. On the investment grade side, about 5%. High yields, 7.5%. Flint rate loans are still 10 Over the past 12 months, high yield and flint rate loans returned above coupon. Investment grade was inline or coupon-like. The action of rates in late 23, to me, make floating rate loans more attractive today than they were two months ago. We have highlighted a barbell strategy over much of 2023, which means you couple floating rate loans with longer duration corporate bonds. When rates were moving up, you moved a little bit from floating rate over to bonds. Now we've seen rates drop quite a bit. You reverse that trade. Heading into this year with loan coupons still around 10%, even though the Fed is expected to cut, let's say about 1%, you don't lose 1% off returns. You probably lose less than that given the timing of the cuts. It's still an attractive return profile. And relative to high yield, high yield historically has a greater yield than floating rate loans. But given that is the inverse today, I still like the floating rate trade over high yield with where things sit today. Lastly, close with a personal reflection. It's the new year. Instead of giving you a cliche New Year's reflection, I'll throw a little curveball. I've found that many individuals will hold promises they make to themselves in lower regard than promises we make to others. You'll hear from people, quote, I promised this person, so I have to keep it. But when we make the promise to ourselves, we don't hold ourselves to that same accountability. My hope is that we hold promises to ourselves in the same regard as we hold to others. And I think if you do that, you'll end up being able to give more to others. I'll leave you with that. Thank you and stay tuned. The views in this commentary are as of the date recorded and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warranted. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed.